A lot of times we think the gospel of Jesus Christ demands that we simply live differently. And yet as we wrestle with the real things of life, we realize that it calls us to think differently as well. As we look at this passage of scripture in Matthew today, and as we wrestle with the things in this world, it's important that we understand that that as believers in Jesus, we should think differently than the world thinks. That our thoughts should be grounded in this mysterious difference where people can't pin us down and, and figure us out. Our views on race are different than people in the world a lot of times. Our views on inequality and justice are different. And today as we look at this passage of scripture, we see that we view marriage in a way that is different. And I know there's a big debate in this world in freedom and justice and marriage equality. That, that's not what I'm talking about, and that's not what we're talking about today. Our view on marriage is different in the sense that when everyone in the world is saying marriage is something everyone should go after, when Jesus teaches on marriage, his disciples come and say, well, if this is what marriage is, why would anyone want it? <laughs> And so this morning, as we wrestle in Matthew 19 on the mystery of marriage, my, my challenge for us would be that we start to think differently about the marriages that maybe we're already in. And some of you who are single in this room will probably have some moments in this sermon where you think like the disciples, well, maybe I should never get married, and, and maybe you should embrace that. And yet all of us in this blended family of a church are in different places in these things. And so all of us need to start thinking differently about what marriage truly is and what it truly does and why the disciples would say, no thanks. And this is in Matthew 19. We can turn there together. We're going to read verses 3 through 12. Some Pharisees came to Jesus to test him. They asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Fair question. Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh? So they're no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give her his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, and Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. The disciples said to him, if this is the situation between a husband and a wife, it is better not to marry. And Jesus replied, not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs that were born that way, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others, and there are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept this. 
This is the word of the Lord. Summer is here, and it is marriage season. (laughs) This is the time of year where those of us who are not married get kind of bitter because everyone's getting married, and we're either bridesmaids or groomsmen or invited to a thousand weddings. This is the time of year where pastors do a ton of weddings. I did one yesterday. I'm doing one next Sunday. I've got another one later this month, and My week is filled with premarital counseling where these starry-eyed folks are saying, this is going to be amazing, right? And and we're laughing. (laughs) Mark and Tracy Tyler had their 30th anniversary this week on July 5th. (laughs) The Hadidians are at 27 today. Is that true? Uh, Two days ago. Congratulations. 20 years. Facebook is wonderful. Facebook is wonderful, isn't it? I, can, I think Buzz and Tara Hannon hit 10 years this week. Jessica and I had our, our 13th anniversary last Monday, right? And so we, yes, which is wonderful. And it's, it's fun to be in a marriage that's going well. And those of you who are laughing are probably married, and you know that I'm not saying I have a good marriage, some people have bad ones. You know that what I'm saying is it's fun to be married when your marriage is going well. Jessica and I sat down, we went on a progressive date for our anniversary, and went to dinner, went to a movie, and I was telling some guys this morning, we we went to this uh, British movie, like a, I had no idea what was happening. The whole movie, I'm just like sitting there watching it thinking, I'm so glad I'm in love because <laughs> I have literally no idea what these people are saying on the screen in English. And then we went after the movie, we took a walk down the street and found this place where we can get some snacks by the fire and we're sitting by a fire pit at this restaurant and thinking, this is awesome, right? And I don't know if it was awesome because marriage is awesome or if it was awesome to be alone with my wife with no children. Uh, <laughs> talking to an adult without someone saying, Mama, 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 Mama the whole time. But every once in a while you get those glimpses of, oh, this is awesome. Marriage is great. I sit with these couples in premarital counseling. I had three, I had four scheduled premarital counseling meetings this week. And every time, it's just like, I feel kind of awkward sitting with this couple because they're just gazing at each other the whole time. I, I did a wedding yesterday, and as I'm sharing these really I think, really profound words of wisdom with this couple, I'm realizing they have no idea what I'm saying, right? I'm saying, Jordan, you need to serve your wife like Christ, or like, the, like Christ died for the church. And I see him, uh, I see him mouthing to, to Maggie, you look so beautiful. It's like fluttery in love, and they have this feeling in all these premarital counseling sessions. And if, and if you've ever sat in a premarital counseling with me, you're about to think that I'm revealing the innermost secrets of the session I had with you. Every premarital counseling session is like this. I'm not singling you out. Every time this happens, they're sitting there, and they're so in love. And even this week, I, I read this passage, and I said, well, why do you think the disciples said it's better not to get married then? And someone said, well, I guess they just never met the right person yet. Right? <laughs> right? Like, that's what we think. Like, 
that's, I would have said that too. And every other couple says that too, that I found the right person. This is going to be wonderful forever. And I say, you know that, that as you step into the covenant of marriage, divorce is off the table, right? They say, of course it is. We'll never talk about that. We're just going to be in love forever, watch movies every night. We're going to understand the British films, right? It's going to be beautiful. And you would think that these couples are totally naive. But in every premarital counseling session or meeting or series of meetings with a couple, at one point, one of the two, the, the guy or the girl, ha- has to leave the table for a moment. This always happens. Right? Whether someone has to get, take a call or they're running late or use the restroom or they show up and say, hey, sorry, my fiance couldn't make it today. And I find myself sitting alone with the man or the woman for a few minutes. They always ask the same question. They say, Pastor, since my fiance's not here, <laughs> how can we be sure that this is going to work? Right? And then they say, what an iteration of this. They say, my parents were married for 30 years, and they seemed happy. I've seen the photos of And then just one day, we all left the house and graduated from college or high school, and then they just split up, and none of us saw it coming. Well, my buddy just called me, they'll say, and he just got home from work, and his wife was gone. How do I know it's not going to happen to us? They were happy. I know them. They're close with us. I've got this friend, and he's in this marriage, and he used to be this great guy, but now we just... Seems like he hates his wife. He's sick of his kids. And I don't, I don't want that to happen to us. And I never thought it would happen to them. So, so how do we make this work? All right, those of us who are currently in a marriage or have been in a marriage, we understand that sentiment. As things change when you get married. People change. When we get married. And so it's really easy to to read a passage like this and say, oh yeah, I get it. Some couples have a hard time. Not us. When you're not married. Or not yet married. Or when you're engaged. But what is a view of marriage that will help us to make it last? And to make it thrive? And to make it grow? And to make it continue to be wonderful for, for 27 years, 30 years, 60 years. Last March, we, we talked about, Pastor Larry talked about Matthew 19 when we talked about Matthew chapter 5 on the subject of divorce. I think it was March 15th. You can jump on the website, download that amazing teaching on divorce in a the whole book of Matthew, what Jesus says about divorce and walking through it and different cases, and it was so good. And so this week I thought, you know what, instead of talking about the divorce side of the coin in Matthew 19, let's look at the side that we don't normally talk about, which is the, the marriage side of Matthew 19. I had somebody tell me this week, oh, you're going to talk about the eunuchs part? I'm like, yeah, that's what we're going to talk about today. What? What does it really mean, and why would the disciples really say it's better not to marry if we believe what Jesus says about 
teaching. What does that mean for those of us who are married? And how can we make our marriages sustain? Matthew 19 starts with a question that is pretty crazy when you think that it's coming from religious professionals. Right? This is the, the Pharisees come to Jesus and they ask him to test him. They say, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Right? And we read it, we think, oh, they're testing him because Jesus is going to say, of course not, that's ridiculous. But when you do this background study, you see that they're actually asking him because they think if Jesus is a good teacher, he will say, yeah, of course, divorce away. Can you imagine if I went to Pastor Larry and I said, hey, Larry, I just wanted to run something by you I work with the young families here at this church, and I've kind of been letting people know that if any of them want to get divorced, go for it. This is probably the last time you see me, right? That's, That's not what we believe today. And in that culture, that was the teaching that, hey, sometimes marriages don't work. Sometimes you're just not feeling it. Sometimes it's just not working out. And so if you're going to divorce your wife... Do it right. You know, go to the court, do the paperwork, send her away, and then maybe you can find someone new. So the Pharisees' question sounds crazy. But I think we need to grow some empathy for this culture because in, in Jesus' culture, people getting married were going in dark. Right? Like they had no idea what they were getting into. Like there was no dating back then. Right? People didn't like move in together like people in the world do today to kind of test things out. Right? It was mostly arranged marriages. And your parents would say, hey, here's your future husband or here's your future wife. And you'd say, all right, let's see how it works, right? And then you'd get engaged, which in that culture, it's not like you hang out and date and go to TGI Fridays or whatever, right? You're, you're preparing a household. You're preparing a wedding, kind of coexisting, maybe you contact each other a little bit, but then one day the husband comes, picks up the wife, takes her to this wedding, they have a celebration, they go home together, then they figure it out. You marry a stranger. (laughs) And so in that culture where everyone's going in dark, they don't know who they're marrying, likely people came to the religious leaders and say, well, where's the escape valve here? Like, what if the person I marry is a serial killer? Right? I mean, can you imagine if, like, the way that marriage worked in our culture was you jump on eHarmony, eHarmony does a match, a smart match, and hands you a wedding date and says, hey, be there on June 15th, you'll be married, and then go figure it out, right? You'd be like, okay, but what if they're a murderer, right? And they don't put that on their profile. You can say, like, no murderers, right? But what if this person's crazy? Or what if this person is unstable? What if this person is abusive? What if this person is terrible? What if this person is not who they claim to be? What if they don't look like their profile picture, right? What, what, what's the escape valve? Because we're getting bound up in these marriages that our parents thought were a great idea. And maybe it was a financially great idea. Maybe our parents thought that this was a smart match or whatever. But Say you step into a marriage and the person you're living and sleeping and, li- and existing next to is not who you thought they were going to be. What do you do? What do the scriptures say? And so I'm assuming that the religious leaders went to the scriptures. They went to Leviticus. They, they said, well, it says in the scriptures that 
if you, if you want to end a marriage, you can have a divorce, and, and there's some paperwork involved, and there's this judiciary committee involved, and go to the, the leaders, and you know, make sure you do it properly, but I guess if it's not working out, go get a divorce. How are you supposed to know if this is going to be a right fit? Test it out. Get a divorce. So so they said, well, what's the reason that you can? Well, the Bible doesn't say. I guess you can get divorced for any and every reason, whatever you want. Just go get divorced, right? And so we think we live in a divorce-happy culture. Imagine a culture where, where literally people would divorce their wife because they didn't like the food she cooked in the first century. Where they leave their wife because they thought, you know what, I'm just not into this, right? And we see glimpses of that today, but we hopefully don't see glimpses of that in the faith community today. We usually have a higher view of marriage. So no marriage is for life. And these people were going in dark. They were stepping into a marriage where they had no idea what their partner was going to be like until they got there. But, you know, I, I think we're going in dark, too. Have you ever noticed that your spouse is different than the person you thought they were? <laughs> it's not always bad. Sometimes it's good. Right? The person you were at 21 when you got married or 35 when you got married, you're a different person today. Right? And we've seen those. Some of us are living those horror stories where we thought this person was going to be a great partner forever, and all signs pointed to yes, their parents had a great marriage, everything looked good, we dated for a while, we, we said, we're compatible, we went through premarital counseling, we had a great party, no red flags, and then something happened, and our spouse changed. We never thought we'd be married to someone who just drinks all the time and watches TV and doesn't talk to us, but we are. We never thought that we'd be married with someone who had no interest in ever being with us intimately, but we are. We never thought we'd be married to a person whose mind changes and it feels like they're insane, but, but, but we are. We thought we were going into a marriage with eyes wide open, but we were going in dark. And now five years later, 35 years later, the person who used to be sleeping next to us, and now they're in the room down the hall, is not the person that we thought we were going to be married to when we were 60 years old. And so that question that the Pharisees asked Jesus, where's the release valve, right? How do you get out of a marriage that's not working when you find out that they're not who you thought they were? When you went in dark and something changed, you said, uh-oh, I'm out. How do you hit eject? Where's the button? Jesus says, there isn't one. No way out. No release valve. There's no eject button. Unless there's adultery and the person has united themselves with a new person, this is your life forever. And now it makes more sense when we hear the disciples say, if this is the situation between a husband and a wife, it is better not to marry. Marry. 
in our, in our culture, we've tried to find a lot of sophisticated ways to figure out who this person's going to be before we get into the marriage. I saw a stat on Barna yesterday that said 82% of people who decide to move in together before they get married have decided to move in together because they want to test it out to see if they're compatible. They want to figure it out. They want to try before they buy. They don't want to end up with a lemon. But unlike my car that we talked about last week, most cars don't start breaking down until a few years after you buy them. And so we know there's no way to test that compatibility. I've talked to a few people that I've married, not, not Christian people, but people who've said, you know what, here's what I'm scared of. We've been dating for 10 years. We've been living together for eight years, and we wanted to test out our compatibility. We wanted to make sure that we could be married before we committed to marriage. But I'm terrified that the moment we get married, something's going to change. Because we have friends who did the same thing, and they tested it out, and they wanted to see if they were compatible, and they, they acted like they were married for years, and it all worked great. And then they got married, and they got divorced like six months later, and they broke up. I feel like something changed when we got married, and so we kind of don't want to do it at all because I feel like marriage destroys people. This is the situation between a husband and a wife. It is better for a man not to marry. If someone came to you and asked you that question, said, you know what, I've been reading Jesus' teachings on marriage, and I feel like maybe I should never get married, what would you tell them? Right? After you joked and said, well, don't, right? Uh, we'd come back and we'd say, hey, yeah, marriage is hard. And maybe we'd respond to them and say, well, you know what, marriage is a difficult thing, but you've got to choose the right person. Hey, I know you're scared, but the, your fiancé seems amazing. It'll work out. Maybe you say, you know what, you're a Christian. You trust the Lord. He works that stuff out. Just trust him. It'll work. Just go for it. Don't be scared. But when the disciples come to Jesus and say, hey, we've heard your teaching on marriage. There's no escape valve, no release. You're committed to a person you don't know, really, forever. It's better to not get married in the first place. Jesus says, not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who were born that way. There are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others, and those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven, the one who can accept this should accept it. He says, you know what? Yeah. A lot of people are not going to be married or be able to be married when they figure out and hear what marriage is truly like. He doesn't say, trust the Lord, it'll work out. He doesn't say, no, 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 get married, it's a great thing. He says, yeah. This is a hard teaching. If this is what it looks like, you're all in, the dark, no way out. It's going to be a hard step of faith to get into. And so we read this passage, and we read the divorce part, and we're like, ugh, right? And then we read this part, and we're like, double, oh, what? Like, I'm already married. (laughs) I don't want to not get married. I like the idea of marriage, and I, it's really not terrible. Is Jesus saying that marriage is terrible? And we read all these red flags that are popping up, and we think, oh, Jesus is saying marriage is terrible. Don't try it. Trust me, I didn't get married, right? Jesus is not saying that marriage is terrible. 
One of the verses that we often overlook is the verse where Jesus is saying, this is why the teaching is this way, and it's describing how beautiful marriage is. He he alludes, you you can see Jesus' words here in verses 4 through 5, he alludes back to Genesis at the first marriage. He says, let me tell you why I'm giving you such a strong teaching about marriage. It's founded in what marriage truly is. Marriage is not what you think it is. It's not just a contract that you test out and then rip up. It's not just a friendship where you live together forever. It's not just best friends for life, right? It's not just a decision you make. Marriage is a supernatural, amazing, transformational thing. He goes back to the beginning, where when you read Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, there's a phrase that keeps coming out over and over again. It's from the dust of the ground. We see that the plants emerge in the creation account from the dust of the ground. And then the the vegetation emerges from the dust of the ground. And the animals are formed out of the dust of the ground. And then the man is formed from the dust of the ground. And God breathes life into Adam who is formed from the dust of the ground. And and as you read this in the Hebrew, or even in some of the English translations, you catch this rhythm of from the dust of the ground, from the dust of the ground, from the dust of the ground. God created from the dust of the ground until Genesis 2, God creates woman. And when God creates woman... Something jarring happens in the narrative where something is created and explicitly stated to not be created from the dust of the ground. It says, so so God formed woman from the rib he had taken to the man, from the man, and he brought her to the man. And when Adam sees the woman for the first time, he picks up on this. He realizes that she's not a creation from the dust of the ground. He says, this is now bone of my bones. This is flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, Isha, because she was created out of Ish, man. She's from me. She's like me. She's from my own side. She's not a separate parallel creation. She's not distinct from me. She's me. Like, she used to be my rib, right? She's she's me. And Moses says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother in a normal marriage and become united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And when Jesus quotes Moses here, he adds a line to the disciples. He says, so they are, into the Pharisees. He says, so they're no longer two. They're one flesh. That when a man and a woman step into a marriage relationship together, they're becoming a new creation with one another. The only image we can get of what this might be like is the image of our God, the Trinitarian God. We believe in one God who exists eternally in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There's one God, there's not three gods, and yet the Father is distinct from the Son, distinct from the Spirit. They live in perfect harmony, they exist together, but they're not three gods, they're one. And when God creates Adam in the image of God, in the image of God he created him, male and female he created them, that man and woman exist in the image of God most accurately, even though it's not a perfect picture, most accurately when they exist within the marriage relationship. Because in the marriage relationship, two individuals become one new creation where there are two beings who exist as one. And not in the like romantic way, although it's probably romantic. Oh, we're like two hearts, right? Beating in just one heart. Not like that. Like something changes about the nature of man and the nature of woman, that when they are united, they make their covenant, they seal it with the rings, they step into a marriage relationship, they walk up the aisle a new creation. There's no longer two. There's one. 
Or this is why if you've been living with your boyfriend for 10 years and you get married, it's going to be way different the day after the wedding. This is why you can't test out a marriage and move in together and people in the church would say, that's unwise, don't do it. It doesn't work because you can't test out marriage. That's like testing out, I'm going to make up an analogy, it's probably not going to work. That's like testing out having a child by like taking like part of your hair and putting on a doll and putting part of your wife's hair. It seems terrible, I won't say that. Something new is being created in a marriage. Jesus says, that's why you can't tear it apart. If you and your husband or you and your wife decide to have a child or are blessed with a child, and something new is created from within you, from the merger of two beings, something new is created, you can't undo that. You can't unhave a child. In the same way, Jesus is saying, my, teaching on st- uh, my teachings on marriage are not strict and legalistic. I'm just trying to help you understand what happens when you get married. Two people become one new being together, and they're walking through life as one. You can't undo that. You can't unget married. Fill out all the paper you want. You're married. You're one. You're one being. That's why when you're divorced, it still sucks. Because part of you lives on the other side of the country. Something changes in the fiber of our beings when we walk up the altar, when we make the vows. And we're no longer two, we're one now. And it's funny, we're scared about going in dark because what if this person I'm with ends up being a psychopath? It's fair. (laughs) That's why you got to be careful before you step into this. You're committing to live as one with a potential psychopath. <laughs> you know, and maybe there's some solace in knowing that the woman or the man that you're marrying is committing to be with a potential psychopath like you. <laughs> but, but in a sense, we need to be realistic about the fact that all of us are going in dark whether we're married or not. Right? right? Some of us who, who have fallen into hard times. Right? Maybe you fell into addiction. Maybe you fell into a mental illness. You, you never expected that. You didn't wake up one day and say, you know what, I'm going to be depressed tomorrow. Even in your own life, right? Not talking about marriage. In your own life, we're going in dark. You know that, right? You don't know what disease is waiting for you in five years. You don't know what illness is waiting for you, mental or physical, in five years. You don't know what spiritual battles you're going to be facing tomorrow. You don't know what the world's going to throw at you that's going to make you react in a way that you never thought you would. You're going in dark on your own life. And yet with our own lives... We just figure it out as we go. <laughs> All right. You realize after a few weeks that there's something that's clouding you and it feels like a weight on you and you don't want to get out of bed. Right? You try to motivate yourself. Get out of bed. Come on. Go to work. Go to work. Get happy. Listen to happier music, right? You're still depressed. You go to the doctor and the doctor says, I, I think you have some depression. They give you some meds, right? And sometimes that works. Sometimes it doesn't. You go to a counselor. Sometimes that works. Sometimes it wasn't, right? But at that point, you can't, like, quit, right? The the only alternative is to to take your own life, but that's not an option that you'd want to take. Like, this is you now. you got to figure out how to navigate as the you that's in this cloud of depression. We didn't expect it. We never thought someday you'd wake up and be in this state, but you are. If you decide to live as single, you've got to be realistic that you're going in dark alone, and not in a bad way, but just on your own life. 
But when you get married, you need to realize that now you're going in dark together. Which multiplies the chance that something terrible is going to happen because there's two of you. (laughs) But also multiplies the effort to to help when you do face those hard hard times. If you're in a wonderful marriage, and this is what I tried to tell Jordan and Maggie yesterday when they were just whispering at each other and not listening. When you're in a beautiful marriage and you're living the Christian marriage, right? Genesis 3 talks about the curse of marriage of man and woman trying to claw authority over each other. The New Testament describes this picture of submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, to your own husbands. Husbands, love your wives, right? And so the picture of a good Christian marriage is two individuals who live as one and they've decided I'm going to devote my life to making you holy. I'm going to devote my life to making you better. I'm going to devote my life to serving you and meeting your needs. I'm going to devote my life to you. And it's a beautiful thing. And I always tell people that the most beautiful thing about a marriage that's working is that you've got the immense joy that comes from selflessly serving another human being without being selfish with all your might. And the humbling delight that comes from knowing there's another person in this world who's devoted themselves to serving you. It's, it's a beautiful thing when it works well. It's a beautiful thing. And yet, like Jesus says, we've got to be realistic. We're going in dark. Some of us are in marriages where we know that our call is to just serve our spouse who will likely never reciprocate. And yet the scripture says, who knows, wives, if you'll save your husband. They might be won over without words when they see the submission, the beauty, the reverence of their wives and their lives. We don't know. Now, marriage is a risk. And so is singleness. We really wish that we can control everything about this world, don't we? But we can't. We have to respond in a gospel-centered, Christ-honoring, God-loving, other-serving way to everything that we come across in this world. When we see tragedies in this world, I talked to someone this week about this passage and said, hey, what insights do you see about marriage as a single woman in our church? And she said, I read this, and this week all I see is violence. All I see is disunity. All I see is tearing things apart because that's what I see in our world, right? We live in a world where things are just being ripped apart and we see marriages ripping apart and we see life ripping apart and that's going to happen no matter what we do, right? We live in a broken world that's falling apart at every seam and we do our best to pray and to act to have God weave that back together again. And for some of us, our mission field is within our own marriages, And some of us are going to choose to be made like eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven. And say, I'm going to stay single because I I don't want my mission to be in my home. I want my mission to be out there. I'm I'm going to go in dark on my own life and serve the world and go in dark there. Really, at the end of the day, Jesus is not trying to give a teaching about how you should not get married. Or that you cannot get divorced. And Jesus is stepping onto this earth, God in human flesh, saying, you guys don't get it. This is marriage. And if you want to step into it, you're stepping into this. And if you don't want to step into it because it's this, fine. But you're stepping into this over here. It's a hard teaching. And not many can accept it, but only those to whom God has given it. And many of us, God has already given the gift of marriage, and now we're trying to figure out how to navigate it. Let's pray that this teaching would be one that forms our mind in a way that helps us to love our spouse as Christ loves us, helps us submit to our 
spouse as the church submits to Christ that helps us honor him in all things, image him as two in one, imaging God, and image him in showing the world what the relationship with God and his people, the church, are like. Let's pray together.